welcome back to another episode of the Sideline Experts. I'm your host, as always, Ned Stevens. I'm joined by my ever-faithful co-host, Mitch Parker-Wilkin. And I want to get straight into it this week, Mitch. It's been a massive two rounds since we last spoke. Obviously, the Reds got up over the Brumbies in what was an absolute barn burner. And we're starting to see that lattice take shape and Titan only four rounds win. As we currently sit, we've got... The Brumbies sitting at first on 15 points, obviously with a game in hand on the Reds, who are sitting on 13 and second, followed by the Rebels in third, Force in fourth, and the Tars with zero points in fifth. How was your week, Mitch? And talk to me about how exciting it is just to have some good quality rugby games on. Mate, it's... Yeah, haven't there been some bloody tight affairs this last two weeks? 100%. I mean, you've just got to look at the Rebels and uh, Force game that was on just this weekend gone. The Rebels Brumbies with that Lonigan kick to seal it. Mate, it's been a tight one. And because of that, I guess... Yeah, there's lots to talk about this week. Exactly. And now that you mention it's been such a tight ladder so far... And, we sort of teed off at one particular aspect of the Sanzar ladder systems before, and you spoke about it on Twitter earlier this week. And what I'm alluding to is this bonus point system. Look, you've generated a bit of discussion in and around the bonus points and how they work and how they've previously worked. What do you suggest as a system? Obviously, previously, it was if you were a losing side within seven, you got a point. Mm. And if you won by scoring more than four tries, you also received a point. What do you think is a fair way of a team earning points in this in this competition? Yeah, mate, you're right. It, um, to go to your first point, it, we've had a bit of uh, engagement on Twitter this week about that question, and yep. and uh, it's interesting to see what all our listeners have thought. But for me, I we posed it basically because I thought, nah, I'm sick of this. Bonus points in my eyes today have become a way to distort the integrity of the ladder. Points wow. differential does it's the exact. Well, I think what it does is, you, and we don't have to look back too far. Super Rugby, I think it was 2015. The Rebels had more wins than the Chiefs, but the Chiefs qualified for finals because of bonus points. And I yep, think, yep. do we do we go by this arbitrary number of up? You got seven points, you get an extra point on the table. Seven points difference, you get an extra point on the table. But if you win by six, it's not enough. I mean, it's just so unnatural, I think, and it distorts the integrity of the ladder. I think wins should be enough. And I mean, it's not as if points differential doesn't incentivize high-scoring rugby. It does the trick. It just doesn't dis- devalue wins in the process. It's funny that you say that. Like, you look at some of the best global leagues around the world, regardless of sport, and not many of them have bonus point yeah. systems. You look at the EPL, there's no bonus point systems there. In the AFL, there's no bonus point systems. Yeah. The NBA, there's no bonus point systems. <laughs> but then for some reason, rugby has this obsession with forcing teams to play more attractive brands of football by points mm. instead of changing the rules which enhance the game itself. Yeah, and, and even, I'd go one further even there. They don't even need to change it because, again, points differential will still reflect. If a team scored more points, they'll sit above a team that's on parity with wins but aren't doing it pretty. I mean, I just think it distorts competitions. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about this last year. Even with the Tri-Nations for a bit, it was looking like oh, the All Blacks might not get the most wins, but they could finish on top. Yeah. So it's an easy fix. And I think once you've gone down this rabbit hole too far, it becomes too embedded and harder to fix. But yeah, I think that going forward, we've we've hit that mark last year with COVID. We've reset. I think going forward, bonus points, one of those things we need to revise. No, I agree. Hey, Mitch. Now, speaking of bonus points, and, and it's been going on in the Northern Hemisphere and the at the moment, and I want to touch on the Six Nations. We haven't really spoken about it much in the last month, but it's been a hugely decisive campaign for a lot of teams, and changing of the guards for a lot of different 
sides. We've seen Wales under Pivak really turn a corner in the last month. There's been questions over Eddie Jones's role in England. Yeah. The Italy side with some promising players but still can't get wins on the board. You know, France has been ravaged by COVID. Talk to me about the big scalp of the weekend was England beating France, a game that the English expected to win. But Fre- French. But also the French yeah, expected yeah. to win. And it's one of those funny ones that they're now premier country in the world for rugby again. That, that result on the weekend's really shaken the, the championship on its head. The French haven't won a Six Nations in a decade now. Mm-hmm. They're a team that they're a country that love their rugby. There's a lot of money in it. There's been a lot of expectation on this young side, and that loss, some would say, typical of France to be their own worst enemy. Yeah, it didn't help their chances. But the crazy thing going forward is we've got this big clash on the weekend. We've got Wales versus France, and it's basically the French need to win it by a bonus point and deprive <laughs> deprive the yeah. Welsh of a bonus point. So it takes the full circle back to bonus points. They've they've adopted up north and now. The French need to pull a big one out of the hat next week. And it's it's funny that you, you say it's that game, France versus Wales, which really typically had been in the last 10 years, that, that boring game, those boring styles sort of going at it. You've got, you've got your Gatlin ball, your yeah. Warren ball, you know, chucking it through the middle, nice hard carries from your centers, really physical style of game playing, angles, kicking yeah. really well. And the French was the same. They were really based their game around kicking, strong set-piece line-out, but didn't really have that consistent attacking flair. Yeah. You, you fast forward five years under Gutierrez and now under Pivac. These two are probably the two premier attacking sides in the Northern Hemisphere. Without a doubt, mate. And, and it, I think, too, what we've seen with this French side is they've emerged from that floating period where they haven't really had a clear identity, where they have resorted to basics that aren't necessarily what has defined French rugby for so long. Mm. We look at the best French sides when they went that period in the late 2000s where they just dominated Six Nations, in the 90s when they whitewashed New Zealand at Eden Park two games in a row, they were characterised by that classic French flair, a bit of that, bit of the dirty tactic, some would argue. And we've seen... <laughs> Damn frogs. And yeah. they've, they've brought it back, not necessarily the dirty, but definitely the flair. Yeah, we've got a team I, with I agree. And it's funny how the Northern Hemisphere teams are having them flying at the moment. Like, two years ago, England was the hottest team in the world. They've just come off a World Cup final against South Africa after beating New Zealand in the semi-final, a game that they were touted as, you know, almost favourites to win. And now people are saying, is this the team that can go to the next World Cup and be competitive? Eddie Jones only came out two weeks ago and said that only 70% of that squad will remain. So 30% of it's going. So that's that's a fair chunk of players in that squad that will be removed. And they just, it feels like they've gone stale. You know, it's the same style... The same things. And we know Eddie Jones likes to build. Yeah. That- but is this... Do you still feel like it's going in the same direction? Because there's this influx of young English players that are as talented as anyone in the world. Your Marcus Smiths, um, your Sam Simmons. There's some brilliant <laughs> young players coming through. Yeah. But they're not being given this opportunity. And we're seeing these older players sticking around. You know, your Macos, even though they're injured. Your Billies, yeah. who's had a lot of injury troubles as of late but they're still there and they're the core of the squad. Will that core change pre-2023 is the big question I, I'm alluding to I here. Think, I think in the next year we'll start to see it. I don't, we all know Eddie's a builder. Um, and I think had we not seen the emergence of this French side, I think it's come down to the opposition upping their game as well. It's, yep. I think the timing of it's just made England's progress and beginnings of their transformation look a little bit more hindered than they'd like. The, you're right, particularly to name Sam Simmons, who's just been... yeah. 
Probably the world. Yeah, oh. Faxeter, one of the best players in the oh, world. He's, at the he's absolutely lighting the world of fire at the moment. Um, so do I think England will build? Yeah, I think they'll get to it. Um, but yeah, at the moment you'd you'd be you'd question whether they were the point where they were in 2018. They look unpredictably inconsistent. You never know whether who, they're going to turn up all guns blazing, which England do. They normally chuck the kitchen sink first 15 minutes. Mm. This year, you don't know what they're going to do. And it's funny, you, you talk about England in, in that sort of stage, and I, I see similar comparisons to where Ireland is at. You know, a lot of expectation built up uh, with Joe Schmidt as the leader of that side. And once he's changed, yeah. we've seen Andy Farrell come in expectations been high but it's been flat on delivery and you compare that to scotland mitch mm. who have really outperformed what many people have said you know and scottish rugby has been in this situation for many years that the players were always good players but have never been able to put on performance after performance mm. and we've seen an irish team who are expected to do that fall behind behind the pack and we've seen a scottish team who expectations were lower really kick up another yeah. gear no, you're right. In relation to Scotland, it, it, there hasn't been a properly serious title contender since the Five Nations back in the early 2000s when they won their last title. Unfortunately, um, their, their ability to translate regional success in the Pro 14 at various points in the last decade has not quite been able to translate to success in the Six Nations. As you mentioned, Ireland, they're a team that... I guess what's characterized their success in recent times has been their ability to dominate the ruck and set the tempo of the game. And if we look if we look back the, just the last few rounds of the Six Nations, clearly that ability to do so is much less than it was just looking back 2018, 2019. I have confidence that these teams that are in a little bit of an inconsistent phase will will bring their standards up. Mm-hmm. But um, no, it's definitely brought some interest to this this last round or two that we've got left of the Six Nations. Now, in turning to the last two games of Super Rugby, or the last two fixtures, rounds of fixtures that we've had so far, let's start off with the Force, who've just come off matches against the Tars and the Rebels. Particularly, let's talk about the Rebels match in the last week. I was really impressed with the Rebels sticking at it for the full 80. In what was quite an important game for them, they needed to actually get a win on the board. We'd spoken about them in the two previous weeks being a good side, just not good enough. A good side, but not good enough within that five to seven point range. But this was a game they really needed to win to show that, hey, we're we're in this and we're not just here to make up the numbers. And I think if we look at it in the context of the two rounds as a whole, we saw obviously that close... (laughs) Very heartbreaking loss for the Rebels against the Reds in Brisbane. Yeah. Then we see the same thing happen with the Brumbies. Yeah. I think what we saw was a team that went, look, we're not going to beat those Reds and Brumby sides pl- playing their own game, expansive game. Yeah. We're going to just control the tempo, play the territory game. I think when that Perth contest happened, they thought, no, we've picked the time to change it up. We we can mark these boys up out wide and in that linkage between the back row and the back line. And I thought we saw that brilliantly on the weekend. Big shout out to Carbus Eloff, the big Saffa prop. He's been immense for them, hasn't he? <laughs> Mate, he, he's been lighting the game of fire. Um, just some of those offloads and the breaks. This is a prop who's making 40-meter runs. Two, and someone who was playing game. not many games off the bench last year was barely in the, getting a look in. Uh, the other guy who's been really impressive is Tom Pincus at fullback. Yeah. Yeah. He's really impressed a lot of people. A lot of similarities to Banks, but he seems to be able to find a way yeah, to get himself. Another UQ boy too. To, but he's finding himself in the game more often, which has been really yeah. impressive. Yeah, no. And from the force on the other end of that fixture, I just want to touch on Tim Anstey, oh, who was immense in 
the game two weeks ago against the Tars, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, but he was out injured last week. But he was an amazing player. And he looks like a guy who will peak late in his career. Obviously, he's been involved with the Sevens program for a long time. Still probably got about 10 kilos to put on his frame to really yeah. be a, a, the size of a six. But his linkage game was incredible. Oh, mate, the, the guy was as dynamic a back row as I see. And obviously, that's Sevens game style coming through there where he's used to taking on the the ball carrying responsibilities a bit more heavier there. Um, he, he just, he was shirking off defenders left, right and center and, and absolutely gave the force chances that otherwise I don't think they would have had. I think it does raise a question though, with, with the question of, does he need to put more weight on? Would that hamper that? Advantage? Yeah. That I, I didn't think about that. Yeah. Give? No, you're right in that. It's finding that balance between the mm. two. And, and you're right about the force as a whole. Like they do need to find, a balance between their outfit. They were a bit clunky last week. And that's one game, you know, back in Perth, they would have looked at and been like, "We that's a game for us to win and to get up over the Rebels and to be so close and go down. You One must wonder what that'll do to yeah. confidence for the rest of the campaign. Yeah, absolutely. Forward. And I, I was definitely thinking if it weren't for that light lighting issue timeout, maybe the momentum would have carried them there. They were down on Only in Australian rugby yeah, would that classic, happen. Classic, like, classic. BBL lights. style, lights out. Yeah. There you go. But I mean, the Perth crowd, they put on a show. There were lights on their phones out. They were singing along. <laughs> it was great to see. But I'll leave a parting thought on this, just in relation to the Rebels more so. But... um. Nine debutants in three rounds Melbourne have had. So let's mm. not discount the fact that they've been well and truly in the race for three matches. They've clinched one of them, could have won yep. the first two. The fact they're doing it with some really new personnel, some really fresh faces is a testament. And the fact they got that win, I think, is a huge potential turning point for their season. But as we'll touch on a little bit later, you've got to remember winning is a habit. Yeah, Winning is a habit. doesn't matter Time. who debuts. You know, we've seen lots of players come in for the Reds and Brummies in the last two years. And they continue to win because winning is a habit. Let's jump across to the Eastern Seaboard and we'll go to the Tars. They had the round off last week and before that they played the force and went down. A lot's transpired in the last 14 days uh, for New South Wales rugby. Mm. We've seen a lot of talk about their chairman and CEO and the movement there in relation to Rob Penny as well. They've come out in support of Penny saying that he has our full support, which is always a yeah. bit of an issue. But <laughs> he's got wish. their full support. Um, there's been a lot of talk in and around it that it's actually not the high-performance team at the Waratahs themselves. And the players have been uh, outstanding and put their hand up and yeah. said it's us. It's A lot of the talk has been around pathway development. Why isn't this group as good as the others? Yeah. It, it's been less about the, the performance of the Super Rugby team but more about why are they not up to the quality that the other teams. Mm. Would you like to shed some light on that one? For no, me, I Mitch? think, and, and we've spoken about it in patches in the past, but I think largely they've let this generational cliff happen. They haven't allowed for the transition to be seamless. And I think that clunky changing of the guard from Daryl Gibson to Rob Penny didn't help. There was, And then obviously Andrew Hoare mm. buggered off to Auckland Rugby for the Blues on a whim and that kind of set set back the whole transition phase for New South Wales rugby. I will contextualize though, if you just look at um, with all this furor about P- Penny's position in New South Wales rugby, 
remember first year Dan McKellar at the Brumbies? There was this talk of, oh, the Brumbies aren't topping the conference. Oh, Therefore, they're looking clunky. Maybe we get them out of here. And now it's all, let's catapult them into the Wallaby setup. So I think yep. there needs to be calm heads. We've had these former players and who, who've uh, been under the tutelage of Penny in the past. They know this guy knows what he's doing. So the calm heads probably are needed. The question must be said, back on the, the administration at large for letting some of these cliff drop off in terms of transitions happen. And it, Does Roger Davis has more to answer for? Because yeah, there's a lot of and questions. And you're right in that, Mitch. It's it's not the players who are going to be wallabies that we're talking about here. Mm, we're talking about middlemen. your 40, 50, 60, 70 cap guys for New South Wales and super rugby players who are now playing their football overseas. Yeah. You know, we're seeing some of them start to come back at the age of 34, 35, like your Sitaleki Tamanis. But... That's the gap there that, that we're really said, missing. Yeah, because like those are the guys that allow you to bring th- through your younger generation. Like the, the perfect guy who comes to mind is someone like a Tom Carter. Absolutely. You know, yeah. he never was good enough to play for the Wallabies. Yeah. Well hated by all the other Super Rugby franchises, but was a Super Rugby veteran, played about 100 games and probably spent about six or seven years as a consistent starter, which allowed some of the young centers to come through, allowed... You know, Adam Ashley Cooper to star at different yeah. stages for the Tars. So that's the that's the gap that they're missing there, and, isn't it? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think touching on that, going forward, the big thing in their their set sites to the future needs to be a solid recruitment program. You just the talk this week of the likes of an Isaac Rodder coming, the force of supposedly got him, but I mean yep. locks a department where New South Wales could probably use a bit of heavy lifting. So yep. making those plays for players. Yep, sure, he's top end of the spectrum. But yeah, those middlemen, those guys that we've let go to the US, that we've let go to Japan in recent times. And I think one thing to note as well is earlier this year, their Pathways Development Manager took up a gig inside of a school program. Mm. So that role hasn't been filled, Yeah, which is important because <laughs> we're talking about Pathways stuff and we don't want to be The having, biggest rugby market in the country. But you don't too. want to be having the same conversation in five years' time saying there's yeah. another generational gap when all these guys move on again. Mm. So it's really important for New South Wales rugby as an organisation to start to really develop both internal and external recruitment yeah. processes for their teams. Hey, let's jump across to the Brumbies. They're sort of southern neighbours and they've been on fire in the last few weeks. Obviously, the outstanding candidate for Australian rugby the last 18 months. Um, they beat the Rebels with a great kick from Ryan Lonergan, <laughs> an absolute belter from the young fella from over halfway. And then they came up against a stiff red side that just fought and fought and fought and gave him a belter. What, what would you give this team out of 10 for the last fortnight, and where do you see them going forward? Mate, for the last fortnight, it's it's probably below what they have been the last 18 months, purely yep. on the results side. But, I mean, yep. in terms of the future for them, I think it's bright. I think yep. they're the most intelligent side on and off field. The rugby IP in the oh. ACT is incredible. Mm-hmm. Whenever the likes of Laurie Fisher, you've got Dan McKellar running the ship. Yep. But I think as far as going forward... I think where they really potentially could shine and really surprise the rugby world is if that Tasman series gets ahead. I think the smart 100%, numbers 100%. game, and we talked about this on Twitter this week, the numbers game that the ACT play, the whole idea of not just a lot of people look at them and go, oh, they're a one-trick pony, the mall, the mall. The mall's not the, the the conclusion they're looking for. They're looking to use the mall as a way to draw numbers and get over, generate overlaps and use those smart finishes, the Muir heads. And obviously, we saw Samu on the on the flanks on the weekend. Yep. That clever play, they, they, they aren't a side that just back 
raw talent to just go off and have a bit of license. There's strategy behind everything. And I think the other thing that we spoke about with the Rebels is that obviously they're a young side. They bring players through, you know, nine debutants in the last three weeks. But you look across at the Brumbies and there's some amazing young storylines in there. Nick Frost is a brilliant example. Extremely talented young junior. He's only about 20 years old. Goes over to the Crusaders because the pathway wasn't here for him. He learns his trade. Comes back as an under-20 Australian player. Kills it in the World Championships. Joins the Brumbies program. And now is coming off the bench and making a real impact in yeah. Super Rugby. That's just one of the one of the stories, you know. Another guy like Darcy Swain Darcy has Swain, been yeah. an incredible purchase for them. Uh, Neville, who's come back as a senior player over the age mm. of thirty, he's thirty-two in the best form of his life. Yeah. He's got young Ryan Lonigan and his brother Lonigan, who plays in the front row too. Like local boys, yeah. local Cam- Camberians. Like, there's some great storylines in this Brumbies outfit, yeah. isn't there? Oh, for sure, mate. And, and and going forward, we spoke about New South Wales troubles. The Brumbies are the model club that the Tars need to look to emulate. Yep. They've created a culture where it has become a place where players want to play, regardless of where their home province is. And just the fact that you've got these talents... You know, Valentini, who's not a Canberran, who's drawn to it. And by the way, speaking of the man, how incredible was he on the weekend? He was great. No, and you're right. Like, they have really set themselves up for long-term success. And those storylines are the ones we're drawn to as fans of the game. We we love a redemption story. We love, you know, a young debutant who grows in and really becomes a senior member of the team. We love... Kendra Neville coming back and becoming a, a world-class player. Yeah. The, the, those are stories that people are drawn to because we draw inspiration from those yeah. as, as people. And, and the, the best you know the best sign of the, what this team has been able to yield for Australian rugby is the last two matches. They might yep. not have won the last one, but they've delivered spectacles that no fan could watch and, and just be quickly, like, that conclusion didn't have me on the end of my seat. Humble in defeat too. Yeah. Dan McKellar in the press conference really, really spoke about it's so great for Australian rugby that that game was of, of that quality, which yeah. I like to see. Yeah. Um, and, and speaking of quality, we've got to touch on the Reds. They come off the bye, play the Brumbies in an absolute ripper of a game. And it's funny that we we spoke about it all year. They've been slow starters, yeah. not just in games, but in the competition. We really haven't seen them hit up to full speed. And even after winning this game 40 points to 38 on the weekend, Brad Thorne said, we've got two or three more gears to go. We yeah. still haven't clicked in. And that was my worry too going into this because not only have we been slow starters, but traditionally we're pretty poor off buy rounds. Yep. So I was thinking, oh, this could be a dust up. And the first half was looking like it could be the way. The first 20 minutes yeah, the Brumbies exactly. were out the game. Yeah, so yeah. you'd look at what they were able to serve up in the end and it goes back to that winning habit. It, they backed themselves. I mean, a, simpt- a great sign of the, how confident they are in each other is the fact that Hunter Paisami went for that grubber. I'm Inside the 22, attacking grubbers. That's Reds something fan, that, yeah. You detest Queensland rugby. You're a neutral. You can see that side and be like, no, they have confidence in each other. James O'Connor, absolutely. And he, he was excellent. But I mean, after the game, he was commenting on how the team just have confidence that they'll deliver for each other. Yeah. No, and just quickly touching back on that grubber. Not only is that a sign of confidence within a group, that's also a trend that they've clearly done a lot of video work on because mm. in a, in rugby at the moment, it it is a trend that attacking grubbers and attacking short kicking games are really starting to come back into the game. And it's because of the line speed yeah. that teams are able the to generate. The Brumbies were excellent well, and, the weekend. But, but that shows a sign that's learning yeah. and developing and, and watching rugby and reading rugby because that kick is, was perfectly placed, yeah. perfectly weighted, and it means that he's he's... 
that that's not a fluke. He's no. practiced that. No, yeah. Him and Geordie have worked on that 100%. So I, I was really impressed with their combination again. And I still think Geordie's got a little bit of yeah. work to do. The handling and, errors needs have crept in. He needs to work on something. Yeah, and some someone mentioned that. He, we've got to remember he's still 20 years old. Yeah, and I mean, he's like, had a huge last two years. Like, he's 20. Yeah. I can't believe it. Like, he, he's one of the leading lights in Australian rugby. He's 20 years old, and he's that good already. We've just got to be a little bit gentle with yeah. him and, and, and give him some time. And his father passed in the last couple of years. Yep. A, he's felt a lot, so expectations need to be and he's an hour. He's still, still one of our best yeah. players. Yeah. Um, now, before we take a look at the preview for the upcoming fixtures... In the paper today, there was some chat about Dave Rennie and Scott Johnson looking to assemble the group early this year for, for the upcoming series. Obviously, we've got France and then the Tri-Nations or Quad Nations, whatever happens, later on down the line. It'll be a wider yeah, a bigger group of players coming together in that sort of uh, players of national interest group. Is there anyone from the different franchises who have, you've sort of earmarked as someone that we didn't have going into round one this year? Yeah, mate. No, I, I think it's a really good good question to pose because I think we've seen a few names that probably have surprised all of us. I yeah. Mean, uh, a couple for me, well, the first one I'll put up is Andy Muirhead. I think... Yep. A great and, finisher. Just a really quality finisher. You've got great he? journalists with great rugby now, like Paul Cully coming out and saying, look, this is a man that Kiwis look at and go, he creates opportunities and finishes them. He, he's got a rugby brain. He's not just an athlete. He's not just a, a pro who knows how to do the basics in a professional setup. He's the type of guy that you give the ball and you know he'll work well either within a team or if he has to make it himself, he'll do it. And wouldn't it be a great story too? A guy who spent a lot of years here in Brisbane playing club rugby, really developed his craft, mm. spent some time in New Zealand playing club rugby over there, developing his craft, really yeah. figuring out his position, his game. He finally gets a shot in Canberra Grabs it with both hands and look at him now. He's one of yeah, the uh, you know premium wingers in Australia. Yeah, and the other one we've obviously the other two we've obviously alluded to is already is Tim Anstey. I mean, yep. El, and Sarah Uru as well. Yeah. So yeah, I, I was about to mention <laughs> both those players, but you are right. There's a couple of positions that leans itself towards yeah. players of national interest. Like Neville is from yeah, the Brumbies absolutely. has been a perfect example. He's Probably the best in his position in the world. At Pulling the a Matt Phillip a bit there in the respect to standing Yeah, exactly. And, the and there's an, another couple of spots that I've been really impressed with. Tom Pincus yep. deserves to be mentioned. And I wouldn't even mind seeing Jack McGregor, who really impressed yes. me in that Force Rebels game, coming off the bench and yeah. providing Prodigious a lot of impact. Player. And he's got a great kicking game and a great passing game and at a fullback. So there's a couple of spots there that we spoke about earlier in the season that the Wallabies sort of need, need to fill, probably... You know, hooker, second row, fullback were really the three yeah. spots that we were lacking depth in. We haven't really named any hookers, but the one I would chuck in just came back was James, James Hansen. Hansen yeah. And he was amazing on the weekend. Played, what, 70, 75 minutes? Yeah, and, and the fact that in those that just before he went off in the diamonds, he kind of took the side and said, and firstly, he saw him in the middle revving the Doesn't mark. he look fit, though? Stoppage. He's dropped Mate, a few he looks, pegs and a half. He's become he a dad, too. He's done the opposite trend. Mate, he looks way better than he's ever looked before. And he's, <laughs> what, how, is, how old is he? 31, 32? Uh, yeah, but 31, look, I think. And you've got to remember now that there's players that are going around to 35, 36. Yeah. And still are in great form. Like, we've seen, 2023 is just around the corner. It's only 18 months away. Yeah. Players at 32 now 
are a goddamn good chance of playing in yeah. a World Cup. And we saw him. We saw what he did before he left uh, the Rebels back in 2015 or 16. And he was doing some good things back then. And he's obviously gone to Gloucester, which is a club in the UK with a lot of pride in their set piece traditionally. Yep. And the fact that he was able to make a crack into that squad and, and put in some awesome performances just goes to show how far he's developed. I think there's probably not better environment. You'd struggle to find a better environment to hone that craft. And as a game manager, just the fact that, as I mentioned before, he was in the middle of that circle, yeah. drilling the and forwards, that, this yeah, is what a bit we of a do, leader now. really goes to show his development in the last few years. Now let's look ahead to the weekend's matches. And we've got a couple of big clashes that'll really... Uh, paint some storylines for us and really help us nail down who who will come out of that group of ponies and really push for Wallaby selection. We've got the Rebels taking on the Tars live out of Melbourne for the first time this year on Friday night, and that will be exclusively broadcast on Stan. And then in the second fixture, we've got the Reds versus the Force at Suncorp Stadium on Saturday night, which will be both on Nine Gem and Stan. Now let's have a look at the Tars Rebels game from Melbourne. What do you need to see out of the Tars for, yeah. for for it to be a good performance? Let's not even let's take a win off the cards. Let's just say wins are relevant. What needs to be done better for it to be a better performance? I think they need to nullify the most potent aspect of the Rebels this year, and that's the Rebels' ability to dictate the terms of play. I think from the helter-skelter from the start, they need to set the tempo, not get set in this trap of you know, we're pinned down our end or also where the Rebels have been setting the pace where they've controlled stoppages. There's no, probably a bit right. of gamesmanship. We need So that's going to require the leaders to step up. It doesn't matter how old they are, the Will Harrisons of the world, that's they're going to need to be too. talking their ass off. No, you're right, Mitch. One of the mm. things that I've really noticed about the Tars is they, they're a one-pace group and what that pace is is fast. Yeah. And... Why that's an issue is because you're then frantic when you're losing. Mm. So you, you're you down by a couple of tries and because it's you only play fast, you you get the ball, you're trying to exit fast and you, and you drop it. You, you're trying to make a break, it's fast. It's, you know, the yeah. handling area, you turn it over. Or what, but by having one tempo, it really forces errors out of your game. And at the moment, they're a team that needs to take a breath, needs to relax, needs to have a couple yeah. of gears. And that's th- something that the Reds and the Brumbies have really picked up from the Kiwi teams is yeah. that when they're on top, they play quick. They play yeah. fast. They You watch Richie Mwanga when they're on top, he takes a conversion in seconds because yeah. he knows it's time to go Make again. Make while the sun shines. Yeah, yeah they exactly. Know We're on top. Let's keep pushing. But yeah. then at the same time, they have the ability to pull it back when their team needs a break. They'll just pull the reins back. And that's something that the Reds and Brumbies have done yeah. really well. But the Tars have that one pace and it's really caused a lot of errors. So when we apply this to what this game will look like this weekend, I think the big thing for the Tars is they need to target the main part channels where the Rebels do dictate play. Yep. And they do that, A, through their back row to their halves channel where they're able to link up. Wells did it beautifully on the weekend. So yep. the, the, you need the players like Carlo Tizano, who I believe leading try uh, tackle success rate of any player in Australia he's, right yeah, now, which is huge yep. raps. And they also need to nullify Matt Tamua, whose kicking game has been superb. And the other thing I think that they'll look to do is let's not forget that there are some really talented young guys there and we just haven't seen their strengths come out. The Rams of the world. They're the, the Rams, Rams Noangani Tawazi, uh, Will Harris. Like these guys are good footballers and sometimes we get caught up in this, oh, what's our weakness? How can we make our weakness stronger? But sometimes making your strength a real strength can really bring the best yeah. out of a group. So I really want to see those guys get themselves more involved in the game, bring out their skills. They're very talented guys, 
They need to get the best yeah. out of themselves. With and and then saying that, if we're applying what that looks like on the weekend, I think we can clearly identify, particularly that back line, the aerial skill set's a big one. So we need yep. to see more of that aerial probing, little deft little grubbers behind the line, Midfield if need be, because obviously we know that the rebels have been putting some serious defensive yep. pressure by way of speed. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind seeing, sorry, Glenn Vahu get a starting run and hopefully Carter Gordon some time off mm, the bench. The Rebels, yeah, absolutely from them. If I, I, I can read by your voice and I'm the same. I believe the Rebels will win this, but the Tars, if they can nail those things, it'll be as tight as it was against the Force the other yeah, week. Yeah, I've been a silly man. I've backed the Tars all, all two <laughs> times we've been on this year. So I'm going to go Rebels by 10. Yeah, it sounds about right to me, mate. Now let's go over to the Reds versus Force game here at Suncorp Stadium. And it'll be a really good game. This corresponding fixture last year was an open free-flowing game of rugby and i think ronnie ralston yeah he absolute had a gr- clinic great game and i think it'll be great to see the the reds back at home that's got a bit of momentum now i think we'll really start to see the best of this side come out yeah no i think it's going to be we've seen three games which have been really tight where there's been very ebb and flowy and having yep. to absorb shock i think this will be the one where the queensland side unleash a bit and i also think the same for the force for that matter we know that both sides have got the players that can a lead a, particularly in the backs they've got the force obviously carney they've got kurundrani yep. lance these yep. players who can command and really dictate play so well um but also with queensland you've got o'connor you've got those sorts of players that can whether project their experience to really bring the best out of their players so what does this mean i think i think it's going to be yeah, lots of long-range tries. I think the teams need to look to uh, draw, play the numbers game. Drawing the defense will be crucial here because overlaps when you've got the wheels that both sides do out wide, yeah. you want to make sure you're playing the numbers. Let's not underestimate, though, the front row battle that will go on. Tom yeah. Robbins, Tom Robertson sorry, has been immense over yeah. there at the force. He was really good on the Great weekend. Great move for his career so far. Filetti Kautu's been good around the park but has been struggling with their line-outs mm. and... The other prop, Greg Holmes, is obviously ageless <laughs> at about 45. So that that battle will have a, a big influence in the game because the Reds have been so strong at scrum time. If the force can hold level there, that will really influence that fixture too. Oh, it's a huge, huge in that context. Queensland Reds have obviously had some great round-the-park movements and their scrum really came well at the end of that last game against the Brumbies. But I think if they can dominate in that sense and you've got the likes of Seru Uru stepping up, yeah. um, that should probably set them up nicely. I'm back in Queensland to win, but I think it's going to be a really, really entertaining game. At yeah, I think I think this will be a high-scoring one. I'm, I'm feeling 60 points plus in this game total. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised, and I would like to see this, Isaac Rodder get named on the bench for the force. <laughs> That'd be back a smoky just out of nowhere. Now, that, that's, that's smart. I don't know any inside information <laughs> on that, but wouldn't it be it, awesome it'd to sell see tickets, mate? It'd absolutely 100%. sell tickets. Hey, and before we go, I just want to touch on one more thing. Uh, we've seen the Australian newspaper in the last week or two put out a podcast called The Breakdown, um, which has basically slandered Australian rugby over the last 30 years and how poor it's been. A lot of uh, hate mongering amongst that newspaper, particularly around uh, they're now no longer involved with the broadcast of the game um, and the the masthead of their publication. But it's the same voices that we've heard over and over, you know. And I feel bad for giving it airtime, but I think we need to comment. You know, I'm so sick of seeing the same blokes, Alan Jones in particular, and others 
just push the same rhetoric over and over and over. Yes, we know rugby's had its downfalls in the last 10 to 20 years. We know that. But the only way to get better and to make the game better is to be positive and to look forward. Like we, there's, we've looked back for too long, haven't we? It's like Australian rugby needs to be positive, continue to make the strides forward that we have in the last 18 months and really back ourselves. And look, we're part of it too. Like obviously we're two blokes sitting in my bedroom here <laughs> chatting shit about rugby and don't slander the studio mate but, Come on. <laughs> but just enjoying it and really just like trying to bring bring some light into rugby and we need more like positive stories we need more of that don't I'll, we i'll make this comment ned i think the fact that the the voices of uh hostility towards rugby have really escalated it's probably been drawn out by the fact that they can't stand seeing the game succeed despite their best predictions you know, a year ago, yeah. it's 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 refresh. It's probably a sign that what's happening right now is the right thing. That we've yeah. got stan audiences and gem audiences combined doubling, tripling what they were last year. That yeah. we've got promoting out promoting of NRL on the Nime Network 100%. by factors of six and seven. It's incredible. So it just tells us just keep doing what you're doing, Australian rugby community. We've it's been so long that we've been in the doldrums that we've had not much to celebrate or be proud of in a public sphere because there's fear that you'll get it. Oh, no, rugby, that's dead. But, I mean, yep. we're finally on the up. Just yep. get amongst it. Yeah. Okay, folks, that's all we've got time for this week on the Sideline Experts. If you haven't connected with us on socials, please do. Jump on Twitter. Mitch is super active there <laughs> on our Instagram, on Facebook. And otherwise, thanks for tuning in and enjoy the weekend of footy. Holy tomorrow. Um, yeah, good. Yeah, uh, you did it. <laughs>